stay fly. Stay fly. Don't just try to make it, right? That's one thing a lot of times people say, well, I just want to survive. And I say, no, don't just survive, thrive. And then what's the difference between surviving and thriving, right? And then when you find out what that is, you go for it. And if you don't know, find a mentor. And to me, that was the biggest thing in the military is I had mentors every place that I went to, uh, different mentors for financial help. Oh, 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 peace, beloved. It's time for another great episode of Get Get on Code. All right. Welcome to Get on Code, the Fly Guy Show, which is a series of melanated conversations focused on empowerment, health, wealth, and knowledge of self. People think in binary choices because they are conditioned to. And on the wall was a picture of a wolf and a lion. I think the wolf was the Democratic Party, the lion was the Republicans. But the drug trade and all these illegal stuff that uh, people do, that's still economics. It's just that they couldn't do it in a traditional system. We're talking about melanated wealth. So we can build wealth, but we just, for some reason, don't seem to be able to transfer it. You had a great experience. Fine. That means nothing. What were you told as a child about education? You had to be how many times better? Every impression without an expression becomes depression. All right. Time for a great episode of Get On Code. And I have the good brother Darrell Williams from AllianceSeminars.org. So we're going to chap into that a little later on. AllianceSeminars.org. You see it on the screen. You can read, you know. (laughs) But this good brother has a background in leadership, which was... What's the word I want to say? It was informed by his experience in the United States military. Thanks for your service. Exactly. But he's been able to bring that uh, that military style leadership, that militancy, that leadership, that this is the direction. He's been able to take that into the community and he's helping folk with it. He's helping families with it. And today we're going to end up talking about how we can save the black family. His, you know, he and his wife does coaching. You know, and so we can call we can call him Coach Darrell. So, but his coaching helps keep families together, helps meld families together. And hey, beloved, we got to do some things to make sure that we get together. So, brother Darrell Williams, man, what's good? Good to have you on the Get On Coach Show, where we deal with health, wealth, knowledge, itself. What's good with you, bro? Hey, man, it's glad to be here. Glad to help out. And um, again, uh, it's always good when you can give back. Ashe, Ashe, amen. So look, brother, look, you you help folk with leadership. Yes. All right. So so let, let's dive back into your past and let's see how leadership kind of crept into your life. So you grew up in Compton? Grew up in Compton, California. Um, I grew up during the time of Boys in the Hood. And my brothers and sisters grew up during the time of Straight Out of Compton. And so everybody, when they meet me, they're like, hey, man, that movie Boys in the Hood, did they add anything to that? I'm like, nah, man, that was straight up raw, just the way it was. And um, a lot of people ask me, like, you know, kind of like I was like in jail. Like, how'd you get out of Compton? I'm like, I left (laughs) because I wanted to start a career and take care of myself. I was the oldest of four. And it was so funny, man. I don't know if he was serious or not. I just remember my dad saying, two men can't stay in the same house. I was like, oh. Okay, I got you, Pop. So um, during my junior year, I realized that, man, I don't have the money for college. Grades are okay, but, you know, I need to really do something. 
And this man running into a uh, army recruiter, man. That dude. I wish I can find him and thank him, man, because he really saved my life, man. I mean, talked to him about the army. I wasn't feeling it at first, but he just started dropping the knowledge about paying for college and traveling and all that. I was like, man, I can't get a better deal than that. So I ended up joining the army, and I I think we graduated in June. I went in October and never looked back. Uh, came in on the military HR guy and um, I did 20 years in the army and out of those 20 years 15 of those years was working for the White House Communications Agency so when I got there I um, was working with um, President, supporting Bush, President Bush Sr. then rolled over to President Clinton and then from there um, I took a little break Went to Korea for a year, came back, and then that's when we started supporting uh, Bush Jr. And um, during that time while I was in the military, um, I also still helped out in the communities. I was a youth pastor back then. And uh, again, my whole thing was anything I have in the military, how can I transfer that over and help others in the private sector? And that's always kind of been my MO over the years. All right. So. You were in the military. You came out of Compton. That kind of reminds me of the film, uh, The Spook Who Sat By The Door. Because that brother, you know, he... Are you familiar with that movie? No, I'm not. Okay, okay. Uh, the movie is called The Spook That Sat By The Door. And this brother was the first person, the first uh, black person to join the American CIA. Wow. And he took nice. what he learned in the CIA... And he used that to train some of the uh, boys in the hood <laughs> in Chicago. Uh, here's some pictures from it. Uh, yep. He took that to train some of the yeah. boys in the hood in Chicago. It started off as a book and became a movie during the black exploitation uh, time yeah. period. Nice. And he he helped overthrow an area where there was a lot of, of course, crime. So he mm-hmm. helped kind of clean up the crime, but there was a lot of police overreach. Mm-hmm. And he used what he learned to kind of take over the, the police overreach. And so people who kind of go into systems like you did and come out with information that helps us, mm-hmm. you know, we jokingly say you the spook, you know, not saying mm-hmm. there's nothing derogatory. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I Normally like if I call you a spook, you know, it's <laughs> we about to bite, you know, but in, in that case, it, it's a little more of a, a salute to it the is. fact that you took something from a system that doesn't, that wasn't necessarily built for us mm-hmm. and use it in a way that helps build us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So look, you were in the military working under Bush one? Uh, Bush one, Clinton, and then Bush two. Whoa. So so what was that like being under Bush one? So for us, it's, uh, it's kind of amazing because there's three different organizations that kind of support a president, right? There's the Secret Service, which everybody knows about. There's the White House staff. But then there's also this organization, which I was a part of, which is the White House Communications Agency. So we provide all the IT support uh, for the president, vice president, uh, Secret Service, and their staff. So any piece of equipment they touch came from our organization. So very high op tempo, no fail mission, right? Um, Everything got to be on point. So you have the White House normally where they do their day to day. But when they travel, you know, a lot of people just see it on the news like, oh, okay, President Biden went to XYZ state. 
But what they don't know behind the scenes is, you know, our organization, Secret Service, the staff, you know, we're basically replicating that White House at whatever city or country that we go to to make sure that all the IT communications is on point. Yo, man, so you had a great experience in the military. Mm-hmm. Would, should more of our young men go into the military? See, that's a good one. I would say it depends on um, what they're looking to do. Like, there's some kids, I mean, they are college ready. And to me, you know, if you're college ready, you know, take advantage of the system, do what you need to do to grow. But I also believe that there are some individuals that may not be college ready out the door, but you still have dreams. So I say in those situations, I would still say look at going to the military uh, because one, first of all, you get a skill right off the Mm -hmm. bat. Number two, they're going to pay for your college. So you're not missing college. You just get an Uncle Sam to pay for it and you're doing it for free. And then third, if you say, you know what, I'm good, it's 10 years, I'm getting out, you get out with a skill, you get out with your degree, and you'll find yourself a little bit above your peers because you have the skills, you have the college, you got the maturity. So to me, I'd say it just depends on the individual. Like I know there's some people, you know, they may have an allergy or something, so they can't join the military, and that's okay. But for those that can, I would say they definitely should take a look at it because again, the leadership, the mentoring, the coaching um, that you get in the military is second to none. Okay. And the, the deal with the leadership piece, because we have some ills in our community that I want to kind of tap into mm-hmm. and see how, you know, how you think. And I'm just throwing these at you. This is not mm-hmm. pre-vested. You didn't know I was going to ask this question. I didn't know I was going to ask this question. But okay. when we look at situations like this, mm-hmm. with these people, Mm-hmm. What can we do with the leadership that you learned in our great military? And salute to uh, all those who serve. What can we do to prevent this from continuing? So with this, I mean, there's a lot of different layers to this. And I think that's one of the challenges. Sometimes people look at, you know, the problem is too big or, you know, there's nothing that I can do or if I had Oprah money I'd do this my thing is always tell people one thing you have in common with every billionaire and millionaire is time treat your time just like it was one minute is equal to a thousand dollars if you put your time toward those things that you feel are valuable and that's going to bring back the big dividends then let that be your motivation to make a difference right the other thing I look at is Everybody remember the story of Moses from the Bible, even if you're not in church, but everybody know about Moses. One thing I love about Moses was he had a task that he thought was insurmountable. And he even told God, like, yo, I cannot do this. This is like way, I I don't even have enough to do it. And I love the question where God asked Moses, what do you have in your hand? And Moses like, all I got is a staff. Use what you got in your hand and I'll, and I'll be with you. I, I say that to people because I always tell them, what do you have in your hand? Well, I'm good at basketball. Well, go mentor somebody in basketball. I'm good at swimming. Yo, go start a swim club. I'm good at math. Yo, go start a math tutor club. Use what's in your hand. Try to meet the needs that's 
available where you are and then just start with start there because when we look at the bigger problem and try to tackle the bigger thing sometimes you know we can get really discouraged but if you just take a little bit at a time who knows what you can do within your span of influence Mm. that's interesting Uh, I, I tell you that I really like using you know really great old time tested pieces of literature like the canonized Holy Bible. Um, and one of the stories that you just talked about was, you know, what's in your hand. But when we look at all those who were kind of depicted in the uh, Bible, all of them at some point said, yo, do I got to do it this way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I just, I just show, you know, Yeshua turning over the tables, mm-hmm. um, you know, but you know, you know, hey, Dad, does it have to be this way? <laughs> so even the best example says, does it have to be this way? All right, I'll, I'll go ahead and t- I'll take it and I'll go through the struggle. I'll go through the challenge and I'm going to come out a better entity because of it. Um, Absolutely. So Musa was like, yo, I got to do it this way. <sighs> All right. You know, <laughs> you know, we can go through all the main characters that are in the canonized Bible. And it seems to me that all of them have that same moment where they look at their unsurmountable situation and like, man, mm-hmm. I really got to do this. <sighs> Suck it up and go ahead and do it. Um, Great point. As a matter of fact, do you know Dr. George Frazier? No, do not. Okay, okay, you got to check him out, Dr. George okay. Frazier. I'll bring his picture up in just a minute. But in a talk that he had, he says that, you know, no matter what you believe, uh, the Almighty gives you a mission. And before that mission, there's a, 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 a obstacle that's put in your way. Mm-hmm. And once you overcome that obstacle, you get an attaboy. You get mm-hmm. a pat on the back, or you know, and or at a girl, pat on mm-hmm. the back, or mm-hmm. at a person, pat on the back, and then another obstacle is put in your way. And once you do that next obstacle, then another one's put in your way. But you're always going up, and you're always getting benefits. You're always becoming more influential. You're always growing. Blah blah blah. As a matter of fact, you know, I used to be involved with some of the African centered you know, groups, and we would study. And it turned out that, you know, when we look at, you know, with the uh, Christian belief system, mm-hmm. when we look at Satan and you look at some of the Hebrew words that are used to describe Satan, mm-hmm. initially it meant in the Hebrew language, um, not adversary, not enemy, but obstacle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you know you're a person of the cloth so you can adhere to that but so so there the almighty creates obstacles challenges mm-hmm. adversarial situations that we have to overcome and i think you know in today's time this is one of the adversarial situations that we're overcoming so it's true it is true and i think a lot of people don't understand sickle is that um you know, I, I used to be a youth pastor, so a lot of young people are like, man, you know, why do I have to go through all this stuff, man? Why can't I just get it? And I'm just like, well, think about it. If you get something that you don't have to work for, there's a chance that you really might not appreciate it. Right. However, right. if you got to work through that thing down the road, not only will you appreciate it more, but you're also more likely to pass it on to your son, 
pass it on to your nephew, right? I said, don't look at the obstacles as part of the problem. Look at the obstacles as part of the success. Mm. Mm. So what did you go through in the military <laughs> that led you to having this focus on leadership? I'm, I'm telling you, the biggest thing that happened to me was one, seeing all these men, right? They were doing positive things, right? Because sometimes, you know, when you look at the military, especially back in the day, you know, when I grew up, you know, it was all about infantry and those type of things. But then when you go in there, you realize, just like some other organizations, there's military intelligence, there's human resources, right? There's logistics, right? There's all these different fields and there's great men. Not only are they good at what they do, but they also are looking to bring a younger generation behind them and mentor them so they can be the best that they could be. So that was one of the things that got me was it didn't take long for somebody to find me versus me trying to look for a mentor, right? I never forget at the processing station in my first organization in Germany, the HR guy said, now, what do you want to do? And it was like, well, what do you mean? I just got here. And he was already early on changing my mindset. What do you want to get out of the military? Right? You want to get a car? You want to get uh, what a stereo system? Because you can get all that and you can get out in two years. He said, but if you really want to make an impact, try to do something life changing and then take mm. it back. And I'm telling you, man, these guys challenged me to think deep. And it was like, well, I'm not going back to Compton. So that's out of the car. <laughs> so, you know, I, I want to do everything I can, right? Not just to make it. And that's what he was telling me. Don't just try to make it, right? That's one thing a lot of times people say, well, I just want to survive. And I say, no, don't just survive, thrive. And then what's the difference between surviving and thriving, right? And then when you find out what that is, you go for and if you don't know find a mentor and to me that was the biggest thing in the military is I had mentors every place that I went to uh, different mentors for financial help a mentor for teaching me to be a better leader mentors that taught me how to be a husband right whenever I had to get married so it was just different mentors for at different levels and all you had to do was just listen you had a mentor to help you become a better husband. You had a mentor to help you with your finances. Absolutely. <sighs> Absolutely. So uh, you know, I, I, you know, you're you're um, you're a man of the cloth. So we'll put that up there again. Uh, there's a phrase that says, uh, "My people perish for lack of knowledge." Mm -hmm. So there's another phrase that says, uh, "In." the wealth of counsel there is safety and so one of the things that I think will help deal with these types of situations mm -hmm. is we need to kind of put together some think tanks so we have these mentors that can so into coming up with strategies that will uh, uh, you know address these types of situations mm -hmm. what's one of the most impacting lessons you learned from one of your mentors being humble 
you have so many people that have great ideas, they have the right intentions, but they don't want to be humble. So what happens is, I meet a brother like you, you want to help young people, I want to help young people. Hey, let's kind of collaborate. What do you do well? What do I do well? And what can I bring to the table? We can do this thing together. But then sometimes what happens is people don't want to humble themselves enough to collaborate. It's like, I want the spotlight. I want everybody to know that this is my program, right? And it's like, but what's the end result you're trying to get? Are you trying to help people or are you trying to make a name for yourself? Mm. And that's what one of my mentors taught me. He was like, Darrell, no matter what, as far as every time you get ranked, every place you go, right, stay humble, right? Even if you don't have a supervisor, that's the best supervisor. Give them credit. And that was got me crazy. I was like, what do you mean? Give them credit. Why would I say something good about somebody that's bad? (laughs) But what he was telling me was sometimes we fight these small battles, but we lose the big wars. And what he was telling me was no matter where you go, you got to collaborate. You got to get people on your side. And what he taught me was when I gave credit to the supervisors that maybe they weren't the best supervisor, it made them look good. And I found this throughout, not just the military, but in any organization. When you make leaders look good, they have a tendency to go to bat for you. Now, granted, there's some leaders that, you know, they even shouldn't be a leader. And that's the situation you may have to leave and go somewhere else. But for the most part, when you make somebody else look good, they're inclined to support you even especially if they know that you're saying things about them that maybe they haven't shown right a great uh, aspect yet my thing is when I had some of the people say hey I saw that you got that award but you gave me credit and they were like why'd you give me credit I said because regardless of what I accomplished I still can't do it without somebody like you over me somebody guiding me because what people don't realize is there's also reverse leadership where you take what you're doing well and you still reverse that thing on the people that's over you because that maybe they'll learn that piece of humility that they never learned before. That's intriguing. All right, so let, let's talk about other things that you learned from your leader mentors. Mm-hmm. So if we're, if we're going to deal with saving the black family, you know, then, and we're both men. Mm-hmm. I assume. <laughs> um, what did you learn about being a husband? What did a mentor teach you about being a husband? Man, one thing that I loved about the military is you know how, like, on the holidays, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, you know, those type of holidays, one of the things that's happening in the military is when you're not married. You know, whether you were living in the barracks or you know living in uh, housing, a lot of the married leaders invite the single soldiers over during those holidays, and they're like, "Oh, I don't want to intrude. You know, I don't, you know, mess up you and your family thing." And it's like, "No, come on, somebody did it for me. This is how I pay it forward." And then what happens is you take these single soldiers, and they are around these other married men. And what you're doing is you're watching them 
how they treat their spouse, how they treat their kids, right? You seeing not this, hey, go get me a beer, right? But you see, honey, what do you need me to do as you're preparing this food? Hmm. And I'm telling you, man, it's about modeling what we want to see. And I think for us in the community, as much as we can, because I don't care how jacked up your family was, there's always that one uncle, there's always that one aunt, you're like, man, I can't wait to go see Uncle Seiko, man. He's so cool, man. I love what he does. I love how he, he's always like asking me, yo, what are you doing, young buck? Man, that's good, man. You got a good head on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. We have to, you know, kind of fill in that gap where we can for those that may not have, you know, that mentor of what it looks like or what right even looks like. Because I'm sure even in your history, as you start working with young people, you find out that it's not that they're bad. It's just that they haven't been exposed to what else is out there. They don't know what the other possibilities are. I remember um, when I was talking to one of my other mentors and I was like, man, we got this group of kids. You know, it's like, how do I get to them? It seems like, you know, they don't want to do right. And he just broke it down to me. He was like, Darrell, you got to understand that the situation that some of these young men are in, he said, it's just like somebody on an island and they've been drinking dirty water all their life. They're drinking the dirty water because they don't know that there's other water out there. You got to bring them the different water. And once they taste it, and they make a decision on their own that, yo, I don't have to keep drinking dirty water. Then you be there when they're ready to flip in that mindset and go in a different direction. And I think those are the things that mentors can do. Mm. And and that kind of reminds me of that uh, Malcolm X movie when he was talking to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was talking about water. And that... That, that that's intriguing. That's intriguing. Uh, so, I guess in many cases, we're used to the dirty water. And he says, "Don't condemn if you see a person has a glass of dirty water. Show them the clean water exactly. when they inspect it." You, <laughs> yo. So that, I mean, so have you gone back to Compton and said, "Yo, this is the clean water." So I have not. Right. I've been on the East Coast most of my life now. So the question that some of my other mentors asked me was, okay, so you can't go back to Compton. What do you do? What are you doing where you're at? And that's kind of what I did. So when I was on Fort Meade, I reached out to the kids in the Fort Meade area. All right. Moved to Glen Burnie, found a church in Annapolis, got connected there. And one of the things I did was, um, try to work within the system that we already had and try to improve on what was already there. Once I got out of the military, became a little motivational speaker, right? I couldn't go back to Compton. So like I told the kids in the class, y'all are my version of Compton. So I'm going to PG County. I'm going to Arona County. I'm coming to your school to tell you about, you know, my life decisions and where they led me to be. And it was so funny because some of the kids was like, you know, why are you coming to see us? You work at the White House. You flew on Air Force Two. And I told them that it wasn't about that. It's about me letting you know that if somebody from Compton can fly on Air Force Two, then guess what? The sky's the limit for you too. 
What's one of the most impactful messages that you learned from one of those leaders around being a good husband at those tables? You know, I think one of the lessons I learned was don't blame other people for what you think you didn't get in your life. It was like, so what? Your father wasn't around or your father was around but didn't show you a whole lot of love. Now that you know better, what can you do to change it, you know, for your kids, right? Find an example of somebody that is doing it right. Take those things that you feel like, yep, I can add that to my week. Yep, I can treat my wife like that. You know, I can talk to my son like that instead of hollering at him all the time. It was like, you know, take those things that are around you and then see how they can be incorporated and that they become just an everyday part of your life. Okay, that's what's up. So how do you take those lessons and pair up with your lovely wife and start coaching folk through their problems? Because there's some folk out there with some messy stuff, man. Uh, that, that, that is true. So <laughs> the first thing you do is, and I keep telling people all the time, we don't always have to recreate the wheel, right? I remember I was looking up on your bio and it seemed like you work with a lot of different organizations, right? So for me and my wife, it's like, you know, do we have to go and create something new or can we just partner with what was already there? And so for us, we just partnered up with the church. Why? Because they've always been pillars of the community. So, you know, we just started going there and our pastor was like, hey, we need to change up the Bible study. So we're going to set up these different groups. And a part of these groups, we want to set up a study just for couples. So we got people, they signed up. Um, my wife and I did some research because we didn't want to just go through the Bible. We wanted to make it practical, make it real. So we did some research, found a lot of great books, right? And from there, we just taught to study through those books. So each chapter was like a weekly um, message. All right, people would read ahead if they could. If they couldn't, that's okay. We brought them up to speed. And we would just break down each of those marriage chapters. Because what we found out is there's a lot of things that we bring into any relationship, whether it's a marital relationship with our children, even on our jobs. And sometimes those things that are not positive, we got to find a way to peel the layers to identify what those things are. And then just like a scab, right? We got to clean that thing up and allow it to heal. So each chapter that we went over in those books as related to relationships, you know, we would challenge the couples, right? Try this next week. You know, come back and let's give a report. And even if you didn't do what you wanted to do, let's talk about what kind of got in the way and what we can we do to make sure um, that that doesn't get in the way the next time. So that's what helped us was we partnered up with the church was already there, work within the system, put the Bible study out. Like, like you said, most of men, and I appreciate the brothers, they were so honest. Like, yo, man, I ain't coming there sharing my business with no other man. I'm like, I got that. I appreciate that. I said, but what if we can all learn from each other, share some nuggets, and we make what we have, because that's one thing I never tell people that, you know, I'm not here to make, to help you have a better marriage, because to me, better is different, and sometimes it can be a negative connotation. The word I say is, how about we come together and let's see if we can get a healthier marriage? 
because who wouldn't want a healthier marriage? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying whatever state is in now, what can we do to make it healthier? And a lot of the men was like, all right, now that I'm with. That I'm with. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's what's been the like the the craziest story, like the the biggest turnaround story, the uh Darrell fix my life <laughs> type story. You know, have you seen the Liana fix my right. life? So 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 the Darrell fix my life story, man. T- tell me about one of them couples. Man, so it was this one guy, man, he was so honest that um he was kind of like you know when he comes home he didn't notice some of the tendencies that he was doing right and one of those tendencies was you know hey i'm on my way home let me call right see if the spouse need me to bring something my man was like just coming home he did a quick stop by mcdonald's walked in the house everybody's waiting like okay what we gonna do for dinner he's like oh Y'all don't have nothing. <laughs> and it was like, you know, instead of saying, right, like, oh, man, you should have did this. You should have did that. It was like, oh, so let's look at that situation. What could you have done differently? Well, I probably could have called. Man, that's good. If you would have called, what could that have led to? Well, I probably would have got everybody ideas. And then since I was already out, right, I could have stopped and picked up something. It's like, Okay. Not only would you change that whole situation, what are you showing your son when he sees that dad called and asked, yo, what do y'all want? So I can stop by and get something. So basically he realized that not only did I change it up for myself, but I changed it up for my kids because they saw that dad called to check and see if they needed something. And then... I said, then what did that do for you and your wife? It was like, man, she was like happy, right? Because she was trying to figure out like, what am I going to cook? I run out of time. I still got to do certain things. And when you made that phone call to her, how did that make her feel? And he gave me the words back. She felt relieved. She felt good. Right? She felt like, wow, he was really thinking about us. And it was just so funny that just that one situation and again, just talking through that thing. And then later on down, the, you know, the weeks and months, it's like, hey, man, so how's that thing going? He's like, man, it's like a habit now. It ain't even like I got to think about it, right? <laughs> and, and we and we got peace, right? But again, something so simple, but yet it can have so many big dividends down the road. Just checking in. That's it, man. Just checking in. Yo, cause I, I can I can hear, you know, the hens. They be like, "You just so selfish. You don't care about your family. You don't care about your kids." And he may not have just had that training. Like, dude, just exactly. check in. Exactly. And that's one thing I learned, man. Like in the military, things that we take for granted because we drilled all the time, right? Do this, do that, right? Your training leads to effectiveness. So we don't assume, even if you go to a new organization, right? You always have to go through that organization's new training. Why? Because we don't want to just assume that you know how to do it and assume that you know how to do it the way we do it. It's the same thing in, in life, man. We just can't assume that, well, he's married. He should already know. He might not know. He might not know. So let's just err on the side of caution. Like, yo, 
hey man, you know, sometimes I have challenges with X. What, what, what do you do in that situation? I want to learn from you. It's like, yeah, but you already a, a pastor. Why are you asking me? I said, because I don't have all the answers. <laughs> I said, man, I'm, I'm on life every day, uh, just like you on this earth. So I got to stay getting better. I said, we all learn from each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's a gem, man. So there's somebody that's watching that's like, oh, you know what? I just need to check in a little more. Mm-hmm. And things are go- What's another little practical gem that has changed somebody's life? That, that, that was beautiful, man. So I know you got more of them. Um, one of them I would say is there's a book out there called The Five Love Languages. Anybody that's not familiar with it, um, definitely check it out. And what it talks about is, you know, all of us, men, women, doesn't matter. We all have a different way that we like to be appreciated. And one of the things I talk to some of the men about is, you know, take the quiz. It's like a little simple quiz. It don't cost anything. And this one guy took it and basically you find out that, um, my wife likes um, words, right? And then you figure out the guy, his language is touch, right? And a lot of guys like, yeah, you're right about that. Physical touch, that's my that's my language, right? <laughs> but what we have to realize is if your spouse's language is uh, words and yours is touch, then you might want to relook how do I communicate better with my spouse? I'll give you another one. Um, one of the languages is called um, acts of service, right? Okay. Anything I can do around the house, right? So you say you have a spouse whose her language is acts of service and yours is physical touch, right? And people laugh, but when they try it and they come back in about 30, 60 days, it's like, yo, you was right, man. I'm like, what's the act of service that you can do around the house that can help your wife? And Sense. And that's what they mean, right? <laughs> but then, and here's another one. So what if they're at home and they're taking care of the kids, right? So we come home thinking that we're looking for intimacy and they're tired, been with the kids and trying to figure out, you know, dinner. I said, so what if you did an act of service of, yo, I got the kids when I come home. I'll give them the shower or the bath, right? I'll feed them. Right. You go ahead and, you know, t- just take some time out for yourself. That is an act of service. So when I perform that act of service and I'm not performing it for any other reason that you deserve this. I'm not trying to get nothing out of it. You deserve you need to rest in the midst of performing that act of service later on. Right now, she's speaking your love language of physical touch. So somebody was telling me like, so you saying that if I go in there and bust some suds that I might get a little reward? I'm like, man, I'm telling you, that's a real small price to pay, right? For her to speak your language. What do you think? And he's like, man, I'm going to be about the most dishwashingest person you're going to ever meet. <laughs> and that's what it's about. We learn new ways. We make each other better as husbands, as fathers, Right. But we don't keep it to ourselves, right? We share that knowledge. So again, you know, once we learn something, you know, as a husband or even as a father, you know, it's really imperative that we share that knowledge, you know, because to me, that's what 
mentoring is all about. Um, I remember I had a um, guy that was married, and this, he was at the church before I got there, but he remembered, you know, just going to the pastor and just being one-on-one and just asking him, like, hey, you know, how do I become a better husband, right? Give me some tips. And one of the things that the leader told him was, the next time you go, uh, whether it's church or any organizational meeting, take a look around and see if you see somebody that's modeling, right, the behavior, the success, right, that you want. And he started noticing certain people and he just noticed how they interacted with their kids, how they interacted with their spouse. And he started doing those same things and um, mimicking those things that he thought, you know, were good habits, good behaviors, right? Good nuggets. Then after a while, that became a part of his um, style, right? It wasn't the fact that he had to watch anybody anymore. He started making that a part of his own repertoire. And then it was so amazing. So then after a while, he became one of those guys that other young men were looking up to. So when they would see him come into an event, holding his wife's hand, it was like, oh, okay, so he holds hands. Got it. I want to make sure that I need to do that as well. For some people, it might seem like, I don't take all of that. But what if it does? And what do we have to lose if we try it? The good thing about those type of things is a lot of the lessons that we learned and the things that we can apply, um, I think we're going to find that most of those things are free. And um, if that's the case, then why not uh, do something a little bit different? Stay floss, 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 stay floss. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests, unless we say we agree, unless explicitly stated. Stay floss, stay floss, stay floss, stay floss, stay floss, stay floss.